title of my message, I think should just jump up here on the screen. Oh, wow, we got a fancy background. It is from mold to gold. You know, here's what I just love about this. I actually wrote this out with the American spelling of mold, but Cameron, knowing my heart, he actually put it in the English spelling of mold. I love that. From mold to gold. All right, who likes mold here? No one's putting their hands up. So here, we're not talking about the mold that you find on blue cheese right here, although I do like that mold. Who likes blue cheese here? We've got a few blue cheese lovers. You know, mold is actually good for you. Did you know that? So next time you get that piece of cheddar out of the refrigerator and there's a little light dusting of mold, you need to leave it right where it belongs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but today, I want to talk about the process of the Christian life. Everybody say process. Don't say process. Say process. Because the Christian life is one of process. And what we're going to look at this morning is the process of our walk with God from taking ourselves from in being in a mold to be to being full and revealed in gold. I'm going to read you a passage from Romans first, a well-known passage, Romans 12, the second verse. I'm going to read it in two translations. And then we're actually going to look at the life of Gideon, who was a, was a model for us of what it is to walk with God, what it is to have a life that effectively responds to God, what it is to have a life that is transformed by God, and what it is therefore to transform the world around us. So let's jump in first and read in the good old New Living Translation. Um, and uh, the writer of the Romans says this, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Okay, we're going to read the J.B. Phillips translation here. That's where I get the use of my word mold in the title. J.B. Phillips, because he was British, he spelled it this way. And he says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you and me is good. It meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. I love this translation of this passage. Um, it's just powerful. You get this image of us being in a world, because of course we do live in the world, but we're not of the world. We are of another kingdom, but we live in this world. And this world will try in its various ways to force me and you to fit its own mold, that we will become like those in the world around us, so that they will imprint their values upon our lives and they will shape us to be like them, to act like them. But the work of God that must take place in our hearts is would allow us to inwardly, in fact, 
remove ourselves from that mold to mold our minds in the way God wants them to be molded, that we, in fact, would be like him. Uh, J.B. Phillips was uh, a pretty, it's a pretty amazing story, actually, J.B. Phillips. He was a well-known Bible um, scholar and translator. He was born in England in 1906. He died in 1982. The story here is that as he was, um, he was given and studying the Word of God, it was about the time of the Second World War. So Hitler was on the rise. Evil was on the rise at this time. And Hitler, with his wicked schemes and his demonic agenda of genocide, trying to bring his mold to have influence in the world in this atmosphere as J.B. Phillips was meeting with young people down in the bunkers in London during the Blitz when Hitler's bombs were coming down, the young people were telling him they couldn't really follow the King James translation. They, they, it was too hard. And so in this atmosphere where the bombs were raining down, he took his time to actually go through the scriptures and to create a translation that would actually be understandable to the youth at the time that the young people could access, that they could receive, and they could respond to. Time magazine wrote of him and said that he made the Apostle Paul as accessible to the young person as the preacher down the street. He brought the voice of God, they said, from through the centuries to today. And so while the devil was trying to propagate his schemes and bombing, because of the bombing, underground, the word of God was being translated and was being sent to young people so that while Hitler was getting his youth to try and transform the world, the world God's youth were being transformed by the word. And from that seabed, we had a revival in the late 60s. The charismatic renewal, we had the outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit in a new way, and the church pushed forward. Because you know what? The devil may try and squeeze us into his mold, but he is not going to overcome. He's not going to prevail because he is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything you and I are thinking. He can't perfectly plan ahead, and so he's going to get scuppered as we move along the way. I'm getting fired up this morning. Scuppered. I guess you don't use that word. <laughs> okay. C.S. Lewis actually aided in um, funding the translation of the Phillips translation. Other people weren't interested in the time, but he came forward and made it happen. So it's a picture. Um, it's a picture of how the kingdom of God forges forward. Yes, my wife is telling me that J.B. Phillips... Uh, he actually, he was known to my wife's family. He uh, resided in a small seaside town of Swanage. And he um, was at my parents' wedding. He actually gave the address um, at their wedding. So I'm name dropping Bible translators now. <laughs> Love it. Donnie Wahlberg, Jennifer McCarthy, they ain't got nothing. Name dropping the Bible translators. All right. Yes. Anyway, enough of that. So this is the process of life uh, for us. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at a snapshot of um, Gideon over the next 15, 20 minutes um, and look at his life. And we're going to learn some lessons from his life on how we too can have our minds remolded and that we can be transformed 
And so we can find and prove and practice what the perfect will of God is for our lives. So I like Gideon here. Um, Gideon is a good guy. He is, he is an ordinary man. Everyone say ordinary man, ordinary person, we can say. We won't uh, be gender specific here. Um, but I like Gideon because he is an ordinary guy. Now, he, uh, Gideon actually, he was a grandfather when this took place. So often with these heroes of the faith, um, you know, we think of them, so we think of David, you know, he's the biggest kind of hero typically of the Old Testament faith. And for some of us, we feel like it's inaccessible because like David, he's, he's like the Brad Pitt of the Old Testament. You know, he's this, he's this amazing character or the, or the Jason Bourne of the Old Testament. It's like, what can he not do? He's a, he's a teenager. He's killing lions. He's tearing bears apart. He's going up against Goliath. He's, he's ruddy and handsome, whatever ruddy is. Um, <laughs> Since when is being red in the face being handsome? I don't know. It was different back then. But this is what David was like. And so we think of David and we think, well, you know, we're not really like David. Uh, if, if I had David's genes, then perhaps I could follow after him. But I like Gideon because Gideon is an ordinary guy. He's not a spring chicken. When this all goes down, he is a grandfather already. So you have this picture of this man who is from... The, uh, from the uh, nation of Israel, that he's a believer. He has the history um, of the Israelites, but his current historical experience, the life he's living at the time this is written, does not match what he knows of history. And so for he and his people, they're in a struggle because they n knew what God was, but what they see who God is, is today doesn't match what they know of what God was in a different time. But God is always wanting to bring his personhood and his character into our daily life today. So who God was is still who God is, a, is able to be today. Because God is the same. He doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. Um, so we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and we're going to walk through this and make some observations um, today. So Cameron, if you would put this up on the screen, the first scripture we have. I'm going to try and kind of string this all together as we go through here. Let me organize my notes. So we have uh, our first passage here. Or we would have if I had my notes ordered. Where have they gone? Here we go. Um, and we're going to jump in in Judges 6 uh, and verse 2. The Bible says, the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens in which, the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and in the strongholds. Now, it's interesting to pause there that we're, we're at a period where the enemy is oppressive towards the people of God. And as the enemy oppressed the people, Though the people of Israel ran and went to the mountains. They went into the caves. They went into strongholds and they hid. And one of the first natural responses is when we feel the pressure, when we feel the weight of the enemy, is to run. And that's what Israel did. Is to run and in fact to hide. And so rather than standing up against the enemy... The people of God at this time, they dispersed. They ran, they went into the safe places, they went into the caves, they went underground. The enemy wants 
to disperse us. He wants us to go underground. Let's read on. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. So this is what the enemy wants to do here. When Israel had sown, then the enemy came in. There are seasons of our lives when we have made a decision that we are going to sow. We are going to trust God. We're going to put seed into the ground, whatever that seed is, because we believe that there's going to be a harvest. And part of the harvest is standing back and letting the soil and the rain do its own work. And at the point that you've sown, when you're getting ready for a harvest, and the harvest will come because God makes it come, the enemy often comes in like a flood. And it's not an accident that it was after the sowing, when the harvest was ready, that the enemy came down and he tried to destroy the harvest. He tried to destroy the produce of the earth because the enemy wants the saints to be malnourished, He wants the saints to be tired. He wants them to be weary because the only place of victory he he can have, because he doesn't have true might, is by wearying the saints and weakening the saints and taking away the harvest. So if you feel like the enemy is ramping things up, it's probably because you got seed in the ground and harvest is close for you. And the enemy is wanting to take your seed. We're going to read on. So uh, this goes on here um, after verse 7. We're going to whistle through verse 8 and so forth because it's not really critical for us right now. Um, We're going to jump to verse 11. So this is the environment into which now the angel of the Lord comes. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah. Good old Oprah. She shows up, which belonged to Joash the Abirite. Abirite? Yeah, she came with 276 Pontiac G6s. Um, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So here's a, I, I, this is one thing I just love, you know. You, you get this impression when the Lord shows up, he's just, he's just chilling. He's in peace. You know, he just shows up, and he's just sitting under the oak tree, not phased by anything. He's ready to meet with Gideon. So here the angel of the Lord comes, and um, there's Joash there. His son Gideon was there beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now let me ask you a question. Where should the wheat be being processed. Does anybody know? On the threshing floor. Should wheat be being processed in a wine press? No, it should not. In this environment of oppression, 
the enemy forced Gideon to try and execute a necessary task for his sustenance, for his provision, by forcing him to do it in a place which was totally ill-equipped, it made it way harder, and it, and it made, made an inadequate job of the whole process. The enemy wants to push you and me to try and work out our faith in a place that it is not designed to be worked out. He should have been threshing the grain on a threshing floor, but because of fear of the Midianites, come and take it, he was there in a wine press threshing grain. So let me just paint a little picture for you here of what this would look like. A threshing floor, where he should have been doing this, would be about the width of this whole room. Like, a, like if, if there was a circle that was the width of this room here, that would be a threshing floor. He should have been out in the open so he could use oxen to drag what's called a tribulum or a threshing sled around this floor to thresh the grain. Instead, he was in a wine press. Now, a wine press would be about the size of a large hot tub. What they would do, they would hew out of rock this, like, um, kind of a, it's like a, a small pool. It was about this deep. They would put all the grapes in, and then they would tread on the grapes, and they would ferment, and then they would go through a channel into smaller um, pools where they would collect, and then they would put it in skins or in clay jars. So in a place where, where, where grain was supposed to be threshed, where there was enough room to do it properly, where there was enough room to use actually the, 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 the manpower or the oxen to do it, Instead of that, Gideon was trying to beat out the wheat in this one small area here, and it was not going very well. Just as a side note, what is interesting here is that um, they used uh, a threshing sled, which is otherwise called a tribulum, from the Latin word tribulare, to, to grind out the wheat, and what it was, it was a wooden sled, and then they would put lots of like um, fins made of slate um, and sharp stones underneath it, and so then they would attach this tribulum, they put weights on it, and they would attach this tribulum to an oxen, and then they would drag that tribulum across the grain, and those sharp um, bits of slate and granite would push into the grain and they would separate the rich kernels from the worthless chaff. And from that word tribulum, we get the word tribulation. Tribulation comes from the process of separating that which is of value from that which is worthless. The Apostle Paul said, through many tribulations must we enter the kingdom of God. Because the picture here is that God brings the tribulum, the process of tribulation, which also comes a root word, is pressure that bears down on our lives. And as we go through this tribulation, it separates from us that which is worthless and that which is of value so that we can preserve that which is of value and that which 
only hampers it and eventually will cause that which is of the grain, it will cause it to die and shrivel up if it's not separated. That gets separated. Then they would bring in the winnowing fork. So after the tribulum had gone through and then the grain and the chaff was separated, they bring in a fork, jab it in, and then they would lift it up high in the air and the wind would come because the kernel had weight to it. The wind would come and all the worthless chaff would just blown away and then the pure grain would fall to the floor. You know, sometimes God wants to bring the tribulum, the, tr the process of tribulation to cause that which is of value and that which is not of value to be separated in our lives. And we have to bear through the process of tribulation so that it can be complete and he can separate that and the wind of the Holy Spirit when we've gone through the process will blow away that which is worthless. And while wheat has ears, we hear of ears of wheat, wheat can also have legs and we've got to be careful that we don't run from the process of tribulation. There are a lot of things that will happen in my life and yours. God won't cause all of those things to happen, but he will cause them all to work together for the good if we will trust him and submit to the process. If we're called by him and we love him, he will cause them to work together for the good. But if you're on the threshing floor and that tribulum is coming over your back, I know it doesn't feel good, but let's let that chaff gets separated so he can flick it up into the air and that which is worthless will get blown away. Amen? Tribulations. That's why we should consider it pure joy. That's a tough one, isn't it? When we experience various trials and tribulations because it does perfect our faith. Anyway, that's entirely a side note here. Um, was not really part of the message. Um, tribulations. So here is Gideon being forced by the enemy to try and complete a process of providing sustenance in, a pl in the area where he should be producing something that would provide joy, that it would provide invigoration, that it would be celebration because there was no celebration happening at this time. They weren't making wine because it was as much as they could do just to live and get by. That's what the enemy wants to do in our lives, but we will not let him. So anyway, um, the angel of the Lord here shows up to Gideon. And here's what he says to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Fair question. And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of of Midian. I'm going to read on here in verse 14. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh and I am the youngest 
of my father's house. But the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as though it were just one man, as if you were fighting against just one man. Now, I think this is pretty amazing here, what, what happened in the life of Gideon. And I'm going to make two points from this here <clears throat> that are things that we can grasp and that we can, we can walk in. The first point in how Gideon entered into the strength and victory of the Lord is, number one, he received the call. He received the call. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and says to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Gideon's immediate response is, hey, I'm not the valiant warrior. Look at me. I'm, this, I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm the youngest. I'm the weakest. It's not me. And he talks about he knew what God had done, but he didn't see what God is doing. But despite that, after Gideon talks to God, he then says, all right, let me, show, show me a sign. He goes and leaves the angel of the Lord, and then he goes and gets a goat and kills it and creates a meal. This is, a, this is another example of the different kind of time frame they worked on um, back in the Old Testament times. He's like, hey, I'll be back in a minute. Meanwhile, he goes home, kills a goat, prepares it, gets some wheat, bakes a loaf of bread, brings it all back, presumably some like eight hours later. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, and then he prepares, he puts it on this stone, and then the angel of the Lord causes it to be ignited, and he receives the sacrifice from, from Gideon. And then Gideon is like, all right, it's game on. I may be the smallest I may be the youngest, I may be from the smallest tribe, and I may not have seen what I have heard of you doing, but I will do what you say. And number one, when we want to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, we have to be prepared to receive the call, even if we may not understand it at the time, even though it may be counter to our experience, but Gideon was prepared to receive the call because God came to him and said, you are a valiant warrior. Now, God is outside of time. He calls those things that uh, are not as though they are, even though Gideon's experience was not that he was a warrior because God knew that he had made him to be a warrior. God knew before the beginning of time that he would be a warrior. He could come to him and say, you are a warrior. And it was true. Gideon's life experience had nothing to do with the truth of that statement. So when God comes to you and tells you who you are, can you and I receive the call? We've got to receive the call. Number two. So Gideon received the call. And the second thing that he did to turn things around is he caused the lie to fall. I know it's a little bit of a cheap um, <clears throat> rhyming thing there. He caused the lie to fall. So here's the next thing that he did. 
he is told to go ahead and deliver the Israelites from the hand of Midian, which he does. We know the story. There's this amazing thing. He gets his huge army. Then God whittles it down to 300 people. They don't really have weapons. They go out into the enemy's camp. Um, the enemy comes at him. The, it says the enemies of God all united as one. So now it wasn't just the Midianites. It was all the eastern peoples. They came and united against the Israelites. Interesting that, that when the enemy unites and they try to form as one, the reason that Gideon had the, uh, had the victory here is that God caused confusion to come upon the enemy. In exactly the same way that when those, the, the, the heathens all gathered together in Babel to build the Tower of Babel, and they said, if we get together and we unite ourselves, um, then you know, we will become great and we can reach the heavens. God confused their language, brought confusion to separate that false sense of unity. So the same thing happens with Gideon, and there's an amazing victory there. He, uh, they overcome, but on his way to doing that, I don't believe that would have happened if he had not done the first thing that he did. The first thing that he did here is to go and bring down the, the Asherah pole, which was the altar to the false god Baal. I believe that the reason that Gideon was able to rally the rest of the Israelites and that he himself rallied himself is that he recognized that the source of the problem was not the size of the enemy's camp and the size of the army, but the source of the problem was a false trust in the false god Baal, and it was not a trust in the one true God. That the people of God had drifted in their hearts, they had disobeyed God, and what he needed to do is break down the lie that Baal was, the, that was their God, and he needed to install in a place of their hearts a confidence towards God. And so, for us, it requires that we recognize the source of the challenge that we are facing. The source of the challenge is, is a spiritual one. It is not a physical one. We don't war against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities and powers. And so when Gideon went and tore down the Asherah pole and basically said to all the Israelites, if Baal is real, he will defend himself but it is God who is the one true God, he began to change the mind and the hearts of the Israelites to, to do what we read about in Romans, to begin to change their thinking so that they would actually accept truth and they would reject a lie. The beginning of the steps forward in life for us is to accept God's truth and reject anything other than it. And that's why, number two, we need to cause the lies to fall and recognize what the root of the problems really are. So he changes culture by first attacking the belief system, the wrong belief system of that culture. And once the Israelites had departed from the false God, they had faith towards a true God and a cultural shift occurred within the people and the renewing of their mind began and it began to take place. I don't believe 
that the army would have been with Gideon if he hadn't challenged their belief in Baal and turned them to the one true God. So I want to ask you this at this time. What is going on in your life at this time? Do you recognize the season and the environment you're in? And do you recognize who you are and what you're called to? Do you recognize the call? And do you recognize the spiritual battle that is going on? Do you see what is actually happening? And are you able to target what is happening in the spiritual realm so that we can see the effect in the physical realm? Because if we're to be a people like Gideon, it's necessary that like Gideon, we can, we can respond to God and we can tackle, we can put our trust in him and we say, I'm going to take down the enemy and I'm going to take ground because I recognize what is happening in the spiritual realm. It's like when I began this, I, I referenced um, the passage in Romans and I, I talked about the enemy and his strategy. But, uh, and when he came to Jesus, when the devil was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he came at him with three different assaults. And each time, this is the devil himself, Jesus dispatched him quickly with a single scripture because he recognized the truth of the situation and he was unfazed by the lies of the enemy. And I believe that right now God is putting us in a, in a position where we're ready to actually receive the harvest, that the threshing floor will become productive, that the gold that he has within us is coming, is going to come out. The chaff will be blown away because we're going to respond to his call and we're going to cause the lies that he wants to propagate in my life and yours, we're going to cause them to fall and we're going to move forward into what God has for us. Amen. Amen.